Are you about to scream because the expense management app that you use lacks customer support? Are you frustrated because the expense management app you use charges your clients for all their employees even when only a few of the employees filed expense reports that month? Do you hate in-app ads disrupting your work? If you said yes to any of these questions, stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, File, later in the episode. And what they sought to figure out was which college programs give students the best bang for their buck. How quickly will you get return on investment? And by degree, and then also by program and by college. So I was really interested to see this because I want to know where does accounting fit in? Where does a, where does a music major, as that was your bachelor <laughs> degree, right? Yeah. Like where does yeah. that fit in on the ability to repay your student loans? Today is Saturday, August 28th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. David, are you are you okay? I saw on Twitter that you were having trouble with your two-factor authentication. You got a new phone and, yeah, and you lost I, all your codes. I, I somehow, I don't know, um, I was taking the dog to the dog park and I was like, where's my phone? And you know, got home, looked for everywhere at home, got out my tablet, did find my phone and my, said my phone was out there on River Road. I go driving back over there. My phone's sitting on the yellow median line of the of the road. Oh, <laughs> don't know. I I might have said it on the bumper. I have no idea. So was it? It was broken. You had to get a new one. The screen's broken because you could hook up the Bluetooth in the car and you could still make phone calls. Oh, and the okay. alarm keeps going off. So it's just the screen essentially that's broken. But that has all my two factor authentication on it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this domino because even though you can restore your phone. Right. And it sticks all the old, the other 150 apps that you had on your phone before back on. Right. You're not signed into any of those apps. And so you do this dance to get your things back on track. And for those who aren't familiar, maybe you're not using multi factor authentication. These are apps that you download. Most people are using Google Authenticator. I use Microsoft Authenticator. I use Microsoft. And, and so when you sign up for an app, or you turn this on, you scan a QR code with your phone, and the QR code is linked to some key that's unique to that code. And then whenever you log into the app, you've got to put in this six-digit number that changes every minute. Yeah, so instead of me getting a text, because really the two-factor authentication that sends you text arguably is not as secure, Right. I have this app that has all my little ever-changing, every minute the six-digit numbers change for every single app. Right. And so a hacker would actually have to have your phone in addition to your password in order to get in, which is, that's why it's called two factors, because it's both the password and the phone. And it's unlikely that some hacker in a foreign country is going to steal your phone. But then the problem is you lose your phone and you lose all those codes. And how do you get them back? So it's a little bit of a dance. So first, you have to get logged into Microsoft. But then Microsoft, when you try to log into Microsoft, they're like, hey, enter your two factors to code. But you can't do that. <laughs> but thank goodness, I do use a, uh, a YubiKey. So that's like a little mm. key I can physically put in my phone or my USB port. And I touch it. And then it uses that as my – so that's even beyond two-factor authentication. It's, it's still two-factor authentication, but it's a physical key. So I can right. use that to get into my major accounts, like my Google, my Microsoft. Okay. So first I had to get into that, and then Microsoft restored all my two-factor codes back to my phone, and then I could start logging in other things. Oh, good. But I do you keep didn't, things separate. You didn't have to reset all your apps. Well, you were I didn't have to, to reset get, the apps, okay. exactly. But I Got just it. was – every app, you have to re-sign in and right. go through the whole thing. You know, it's a dance. <laughs> it just takes time. Right, but right. you made a comment to me on Twitter, 
asked me why I don't just use uh, LastPass that has just everything in one app. Yeah, because LastPass has an authenticator and you can use it with codes that you would put into Microsoft Authenticator or Google Authenticator. And the beauty of it is it backs up the authentication codes yes. into your account. So if you get a new phone, you can just load them onto your phone again. Well, so it's the same reason I don't use my Microsoft Authenticator to manage my passwords. So you want you want things separate. So I use Firefox's Lockwise for all my passwords. Usernames mm-hmm. and passwords are stored in that. It syncs across my devices. But my two-factor is a Microsoft Authenticator. So they're never in the same spot. It's like if somebody ever gets into your LastPass, they get their passwords and your authenticators in the same spot. Yeah, but there's so much stuff in there. Like if somebody got into that, I'd, I'm so screwed anyway. <laughs> I mean, like, because uh, I, I was know, thinking use- about this today. Like well, we do all this stuff with your phones and security and fingerprints and all this stuff. And I was thinking your phone's more like your garage. There's shit in there that like you think's important, but it's, it's so much work for somebody else to go through it. Like you have no fears. Of, it seems with your phone. If you find somebody's phone, you know how much work it would be to plow through all the junk to find the one nugget that's on somebody's phone? Well, and the other thing to think about is as long as you're not the low-hanging fruit, you're not going to be the one who gets hacked. The people who get hacked are the ones who are using like password one, two, three, four, five, six and writing stuff down on sticky notes and not using two-factor. I guess what I'm trying to say is as long as you take reasonable precautions, you're going to be good. It's sort of like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's the way that tax professionals look at uh, reasonable S-corp compensation. Like there's a big difference between not taking any salary and taking whatever a reasonable amount is. And then you can argue about what that reasonable amount is, but you're still way better off with any amount versus no amount. Yeah. And I'm saying the same thing with security, right? There's a lot of people that just have no security whatsoever, and they're the ones who are going to get hacked because they're the low-hanging fruit. But it's still that peace of mind, knowing like it's very hard for somebody to get into my stuff. Mm. Right. I mean, it's hard for me when there's a catastrophe, but that tells me somebody else would not be able to do it at all, in theory. Well, we're putting up barriers to hackers with our multi-factor authentication. The profession is also putting up barriers to new CPAs. And there was an editorial in Accounting Today with a headline that really spoke to me. It's by Dan Hood. And the headline is, Is it too hard to become a CPA? Now, I knew this would be a headline in an article that creates a lot of discussion because anytime anyone says it's too hard to become a CPA, we need to make it easier. The counter argument to that that comes out is, well, it has to be hard to be a CPA because we need rigorous standards to ensure the integrity of our profession and make sure that all CPAs have a robust set of knowledge that allows them to serve the public with integrity and trust and all that stuff, right? But practically speaking, the numbers of CPAs have have been declining over the years. The number of students or percentage of students graduating with accounting degrees dropped from 2% in 1990 to only 1% in 2000. And that decade also happened to coincide with the profession's large-scale move to requiring an extra year of college to become a CPA, the 150-hour rule. So those things seem potentially connected. You, You make it harder for people to become a CPA fewer people are going to choose that path unless you give them some other incentive to take that extra year of education. It makes sense, right? If, yeah. if, if I was done with school and I'm like, hey, I can go take the CPA test, maybe I'll do it. But if, if you come back to me and say, oh, you got another year of school left easily, maybe I'm not as interested anymore. Well, and the big problem is that the path is most of the time students graduate, they start working 
And then they're trying to get those extra credit hours and sit for the exam at the same time while they're working a ridiculous amount as an associate accountant or a staff accountant at a big firm. And they just don't have the time because they're being worked to death. And that is also stuff we've talked about on the show. And there's data that shows that's the number one reason that people don't pursue the CPA is they just don't have time because work is taking too much time. Yeah, cost. It's the cost. It's the time. Yeah. You know, do you want to have a social life outside of this? Maybe you're, you know, a lot of people after they graduate college, a lot of them fairly young, you're starting to get married, you're in a different phase of your life, right? And then how do you fit this extra 150 hours in? And that's the case with uh, this stat from the Illinois CPA Society. Over 60% of young professionals who start the CPA but don't finish it, it's because of workload time commitment. And at the same time, we have this recruiting problem in the accounting industry. It's getting harder and harder to find talent. CPA firms are hiring fewer and fewer CPAs as a result of the declining percentage of accountants who are becoming CPAs. There was an AICPA trends report in 2019 based on 2018 data showing a 7% decline in first-time CPA exam candidates since 2017. And the number of CPA exam candidates who passed the fourth section of the exam decreased 6% between 2017 and 2018. What do you think is going to be the case in 2020 with the pandemic? I mean, hardly anybody sat for the exam because of the Prometric testing centers being down. That Those stats, by the way, are from the ICPAS president and CEO, Todd Shapiro, Illinois CPA Society. And they have been really on the front line of talking about this problem of the pipeline. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Dark Horse CPAs. Creating a CPA firm from scratch is hard. Scaling it is even harder, and doing it alone sucks. Instead of struggling to build the clientele from scratch, why not join a firm that guarantees you'll build a six-figure book in less than six months and will pay you a six-figure salary while you're building? Instead of running your own firm, why not join a firm that's built everything you know your practice needs to serve your clients better and scale your book of business? Dark Horse CPAs is democratizing the best resources hoarded by the most successful firms so that practitioners can compete with the best, provide more value to clients, and make a better living in the process. If you want to learn more or to watch a video about improving your accounting career with Dark Horse, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash darkhorse. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-A-R-K-H-O-R-S-E. It's not just us, though. Most companies are struggling to hire workers. There was a survey by consulting firm Willis Towers Watson. They did a survey of 380 employers and found that 73% of respondents are having difficulty attracting employees. That's up from 56% in the first half of the year. And 61% are having a hard time keeping workers. And 70% of these employers expect their hiring problems to continue into 2022. This is not going away anytime fast. What are these employers doing to attract workers? About a third are boosting salaries. More than a third are raising starting salaries, improving the employee experience, making changes to health and well-being benefits, increasing workplace flexibility. But you don't really see accounting salaries growing a lot. It's one of the big complaints is, here we are, we've got an accounting profession that requires 150 hours and works young accountants really, really hard, and then doesn't offer them the same 
salaries that you would get in other professions. And there's, there's lots of other college degrees you could choose that would offer you more money immediately and probably even more money in the long run. And people are really conscious now about the cost of college and, and making that back in terms of ROI. We actually have data on this. There was a study of college programs by thirdway.org. And what they sought to figure out was which college programs give students the best bang for their buck? How quickly will you get return on investment? And by degree, and then also by program and by college. So I was really interested to see this because I want to know where does accounting fit in? Where does a, where does a music major, as that was your bachelor <laughs> degree, right? Yeah. Like where does yeah. that fit in? On the ability to repay your student loans. That's a good one. So, I, yeah, I was a music major. So, I'll tell you, it's 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 at the bottom, actually. Um, so, so, first, let's zoom out and just talk about all college programs. So, this is across associates. This is bachelor's. This is master's. Of all programs where you get a degree of some sort, 46% of them deliver ROI, remain, meaning you recoup your net cost within zero to five years. So, a little less than half. Then there's a group where it's five to 10 years, 10 to 15, five to 10 years, it's like one in five, then 10%, it takes 10 to 15 years. 9% of programs, it takes 20 or more years to, to get your um, ROI. And the way they measured this was by how much you make as a uh, high school grad, and then the difference in salary when you get a degree. So that difference is your premium as an employee, your increase in value. And you take that amount and you divide it, you divide the cost of your degree by that premium. And that's the ROI. That's how many years it takes you, I think. Did I say that right? <laughs> we're, we're basically measuring the, dif the difference if, if you hadn't gotten the degree and then if you get the degree and, and then comparing that to the cost of the degree. So here's the thing that's crazy to me is 16% of college programs see no ROI ever meaning you never make back the money you spent on the degree in your entire career. That seems like a lot, actually. It's very believable. Right? But it, it makes sense when you hear about these programs where the cost can be, I know for some of these master's programs, it can be $100,000, $200,000 for a degree and, and no uh, increase in your earnings versus if you had not gotten the degree. There's, there's no value in the marketplace, essentially. Okay, so then let's go into the specific types of programs. Associate's degrees actually have the highest immediate ROI. 64% of programs give you ROI within under five years. So give a couple examples of those programs. Like what, like oh, what kind of programs? Yeah. So I have a breakdown here, and I actually was able to download the data set in like a good accountant. I went and did a pivot table. The pivot table I did, though, was for was for bachelor's degrees, but I can zoom into the associates tab. And there's actually a, a, a row for accounting and related services for associates degrees. And it looks like the percentage of associates accounting degrees that gave you ROI in under five years is 62%. So 62% of people who go get an associates in accounting, they get ROI in five years. And with uh, this new uh, $3 trillion package, right? Aren't all community colleges going to be free? So in theory, the ROI on a Associate's degree is going to be amazing here soon because it's going to be free. Although you would be better served uh, if you wanted a sure thing going into registered nursing, right? That's a hundred percent ROI in under five years, or uh, uh, being an electrician, or 
drafting and design engineering, funeral service and mortuary services, associate's degrees, 96% in under five years ROI on that, civil engineering, fire protection, ophthalmologic, ophthalm, ophthalm, uh, can't even say that. Cut it. <laughs> Ophthalmic and optometric support services. I guess that's being like a nurse in a uh, uh, eye doctor's office. Anyway, computer programming. Uh, but but the one I'm really interested in is the bachelor's programs because that's what you know impacts us as accountants. And I wanted to know uh, how do we compare to other college programs. So when you look at bachelor's programs, there's well I'll just give it to you straight. So in accounting, the average ROI on an accounting bachelor's degree is. 3.6 years, which actually sounds pretty good, right? You're making your money back in less than the amount of time that you spent in college. But there's a lot of other programs where it's faster. And at the top of the list, you've got nursing, again, one year. <laughs> you've got veterinary medicine, 1.2. You've got petroleum engineering. These are all like within one to two years. A lot of engineering, just tons of engineering, computer programming, all that stuff. We don't have enough engineers. So, you know, accountants, you're sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? I guess, you know, if you have the uh, ability to be an engineer, probably want to go do that if that's, you know, the ROI, if you have the inclination for it. But, you know, accounting's not doing that bad. And then if you break it down by institution, it's really a dramatic spread. So if you are an accounting student at California State University, Northridge, which is you know, I'm partial to that because I used to live right there. And I thought about going to that master's program. It's uh, less than a year ROI, 0.9 based on the cost. Pierce College, which is the community college right next to Northridge nearby, uh, one, one year. So uh, Brigham Young, which is one of the top accounting programs in the country, 1.3 years. So depending on where you go, accounting actually is right up there with computer science and engineering. I thought that was kind of interesting. So it is a really good ROI, depending on the program. But then is it still a good ROI to do that extra 150 and get the CPA? Well, yes. Uh, and I don't have the data to support it, but there is a premium on the CPA. And if you look at the cost of becoming a CPA, it's totally worth it, long run. But I think maybe people don't see that immediately. I think it's also just that the 150 hours is so hard to get while you start working that it doesn't, doesn't matter how much it might increase your earning potential in 10 years, you're just zonked when you get home from work at your firm and it's Friday night and that's the only time you have to study or Saturday. Nobody wants to live like that anymore. Yeah. But, so, but so to get to your point of... about the, the music thing, music is at the very, very, very bottom. So uh, 43%, 44% rounded up of music programs have no ROI. Now, it's not as bad as drama. Drama, 72%, no ROI. Drama, dance, zoology and animal biology, visual and performing arts, film, video, and photographic arts, religion, religious studies, ecology, evolution, uh, anthropology, fine and studio arts. Those are all at the bottom, like <laughs> not good programs if you're looking for ROI. So, so basically, we have this problem. There's a shortage of labor. Count, you can't hire people enough. But to work in this industry, in theory, you have to be a CPA or we need you to have a bachelor's degree, right? Oh, but at the same time, if you have your bachelor's degree, we want you to have experience. So there's just like this really hard hiring program. And I heard a podcast on NPR. This is the uh, indicator on Planet, Planet, what's Planet Money's indicator podcast. Mm -hmm. 
It's on NPR. And then uh, Economist and his argument that this whole like uh, requiring a bachelor's degree is like stifling the whole entire economy because 60% of working Americans don't have one. And right. so this is a great example. I'd be a perfect example. I'm pretty sure there's not an accounting firm out here that would not have me join their team. I'm going to put that down already. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. Because they all use all these resume service products and all these things, right? Uh, Indeed or whatever, you know, all these yeah. the job applicant things. I would not check mark is a bachelor's degree, and none of these firms would know I'm interested in a job. I'd be tossed out. So to be clear, that's because you started working young. You started working in customer support at Intuit, and you didn't. Yeah. you didn't. You I got, got I got a PhD from Intuit, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, you you didn't need to go get a bachelor's degree because you had a career and you you got your knowledge working on the job, which, in my opinion, sixty percent of working Americans. Yeah. Well, and here I went. This is the funny part. You got real hands-on experience with QuickBooks. You, you, at that point in your career, when I was still in school, you probably knew more about accounting. <laughs> you know, I knew, well, I was a music major. So that's the funny part. I had a bachelor's degree in music and I would be potentially getting through that first round and you would not. That's how ridiculous the requirement is. And it's the same thing with this 150 hours thing where you can get the credits in anything. It doesn't have to be uh, accounting. And so that's why people question the value because if I can use my music degree credits to get the 150 hours, like what's the what's the additional value in that to the accounting profession, to clients, to anything? It doesn't. It's just a hoop to jump through. And to go back to Dan Hood's opinion piece, is it too hard to get the CPA? That question. I think we need to distinguish between difficulty that increases skill and difficulty that just is tedious and red tape. And that's what it is. It's just red tape. It doesn't actually increase the ability of accountants it doesn't make us a better accountants it just it's another hoop to jump through and the same argument can be for a bachelor's degree it's just red tape and hoop jumping right right like will you assimilate right kind of a thing yeah and and one of the arguments is uh in favor of it is okay well it it shows that you can follow through on something that you can accomplish this hard task and so it shows dedication and willpower and all that but then when you actually do studies of workers you find there's no correlation because a lot of people think about it. How many people did you know at school who the only reason they got through was because their parents helped them or they forced them to do it? Or you know, like it, it, there's a lot of other factors other than individual willpower when it comes to completing your degree, including financial resources. Yeah, money. <laughs> right? right. Money helps a lot. As somebody who worked as a private tutor to high net worth or the children of high net worth individuals, I can tell you that money has a lot to do with whether or not people are able to complete school. Oh, so so just so let's just continue on from school because I think you got an email or a message from Jennifer Johnson, who's an accounting professor. I want to say like some Houston college, but I'm not positive. Something in Texas, associate professor of instruction at the University of Texas at Dallas. Got it. So she she teaches at the University of Texas at Dallas and has invited us to speak to her class. And we did a live episode. We recorded on a Zoom with her class where we took questions from the audience. It was super awesome. Pre-pandemic. So it was a long time, a while ago. A long time ago. And, and she sent in a link to a Tableau analysis of entry-level jobs that require three or more years of experience. And her message to us was, check out this analysis of entry-level, in quotes, jobs on LinkedIn. My college students get so frustrated when jobs are posted as entry and they still require experience. Any advice for new accounting grads on this? And you open up this chart and it shows that 
44% of finance jobs that are entry level require three years of experience, which is, you know, it's just absurd, right? If it's an entry level job, it should not require experience. But these are those artificial barriers we put up in hiring to reduce the number of applications. Same thing as like a bachelor's degree, right? So the question is, if you don't have that three years of experience, how do you, how do you get through? Do you have any ideas, David? No. And that's, it, this is the dilemma because she also tweeted at me asking, I'm trying to find the tweet. By the way, while you find that, the University of Texas at Dallas, their accounting program has an ROI of uh, 2.2 years. That's pretty good. All right. I found it here. Yeah. So she tweeted at me asking, you know, what does entry level mean in accounting? Her college accounting students would love to know. And I don't have any answers other than I've had some recent discussions with a couple of accounting um, accounting uh, now account seniors at here at U of A, and they all just did junior, they all did their junior year um, internships at mm-hmm. uh, the top ten accounting firm. And so my reply was just like, it just means doing bank recs for two years. <laughs> like, like, so then right, does yeah. the experience even matter? Because somebody's going to come out. I have two years experience in this industry, but if the only thing they've done is bank recs. Like it seems crazy. I, yeah. Well, you know, that's a hard thing to learn and it's an important thing to learn Yeah. and to do it well and to do it right. I, I think that's important. I guess my advice would be internships, 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 get that experience by doing internships. I got the experience by working while I was in school. So starting my own bookkeeping business, working for small business clients. There's lots of small businesses that need bookkeeping work and need accounting help. And a lot of times their CPA firms don't want to do it because they don't think they can charge enough. So maybe go talk to some CPAs and say, hey, I'm a student. I'm looking to pick up some work doing whatever. Can I help you? I think a lot of CPAs would probably take you up on that if you if you called them up. Well, it goes back to what you said last week about being the treasurer of your fraternity, right? We talked yes. about last week about this stuff. Like, and, and really, if you look at your own career, because you started doing bookkeeping for the theater you were at or something else as well, it the, right? It was the tutoring company I was at. So tutoring I was tutoring company. SAT and the bookkeeper quit in the middle of busy season. I talked my way into that job. And part of the way I got the job was I said, oh, I used to do QuickBooks for my fraternity. Yeah. And so just doing, and so that's the thing I think for a lot of people, like you might be better off spinning up a side business, setting yeah. it up on QuickBooks or Zero, And even if it's not a profitable business or an okay profitable business, just enough so you get the experience. You're running through real transactions. It's real money. It's not in theory. You're going through the real pains of like, oh, my data is over here in X and I got to get it over here. Oh, I have to download a bank statement from this other site over here. Like you go through the real pains and you really learn from that by actually doing. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by File. Would you like an expense app that offers 24-7 support, only charges for employees that actually file expense reports, and doesn't subject you, your clients, or their employees to in-app ads? It exists, and it's called File. That's File with a Y. When your clients use File, their employees can track their expenses where it is most convenient. On their phone, via the File app, or via Gmail and Outlook, Slack, even an iMessage. When expenses are submitted, Files AI and OCR technology will extract all the information from the receipt and automatically fill out the expense forms, giving you the ability to monitor expenses in real time. If you need compliance policies, budget controls, or fraud detection, File does that too. File offers multi-org portal to easily manage all your clients within a single account and syncs with all your favorite cloud accounting apps like QuickBooks, Xero, Intact, and NetSuite. 
Files Accounting Partner Program offers training resources, co-marketing opportunities, and revenue sharing. To learn more about File, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash file. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-Y-L-E. File is everyone's expense dream come true. Now, there's another way maybe you could demonstrate your expertise. Intuit is having the exact same problems that accounting firms are having building out QuickBooks Live, which is the bookkeeping service that is now built into QuickBooks that they are selling directly to QuickBooks customers. I heard that they are recruiting this fall like 500 I've heard some rumors too. I've I've, I've heard some rumors at all, like 500 QuickBooks Live representatives. Yeah, they're hiring. Think about this. I mean, that's a lot, right? And so they are having the same trouble finding people with experience and they've decided we're going to go out and we're going to train these people ourselves. So QuickBooks just released, I think it was earlier this month, at least that's when I saw it, their own certification. So now you can go take a course. They put it up on Coursera, which is the very, very popular online learning platform. And it's a free course. It's 80 hours. And it's not just about QuickBooks. They're actually teaching the fundamentals of accounting. And anyone can go take this. I'm going to go find it right now. And while you're finding that, I actually pulled up. So they have a, a careers page for becoming a QuickBooks Live bookkeeper. And this is the same thing we've just were talking about. They want three plus years of paid experience in managing the books for small businesses. You have to be a QuickBooks Online certified pro advisor. You need one year experience working with QuickBooks. And so the requirements for this position is probably eliminating tons of possible candidates. And you're right. Now they're like saying, forget it. We'll just train people from scratch. Yep. Which is basically what I did when I took tech support calls. I mean, I had a little bit of an accounting background and some computer, you know, skills, but like, yeah, I pretty went through. It was five weeks of intense QuickBooks training before I even took one phone call on QuickBooks. So if you're a student right now and you want to demonstrate your initiative and get a better job when you graduate, I would say take this free course on Coursera. Go to Coursera.org and just type in Intuit Bookkeeping and you will find the Intuit Bookkeeping Professional Certificate, which has recently launched. It is free. It is self-paced. It's, I heard it's 80 hours. It's at a beginner level. So you can start from scratch. And if you've already taken your accounting courses, this should be easy for you, but you'll learn then also the tech. And what's really interesting too, is that Intuit isn't just allowing people to self-certify or take a test that they can then cheat at, right? We all know how these online courses work where, oh, I'll just, I'll open the exam and then I'll go look up the answers while I take the exam. And Intuit is well aware of that, obviously. So they have hired a company that is proctoring the exam. So you actually can go take this at a testing center to get the certificate, or you can take it at home and somebody will keep an eye on you on your webcam, which I think is really interesting. So it's funny. I feel like we're being shills and like we're doing a commercial for them in a way, but I was just thinking like it's answering so many of these questions that we brought up from all these other problems. And the other thing I love about this idea of like of saying like, hey, if you're an accounting student, go do this, is you also get that other soft skill that they always bitch about accountants, accounting grads, right? They don't know how to talk to clients. Yeah. Because this job is essentially only built for you to speak to clients. It's like how to solve the client problem, not just the accounting theory. So now you have the soft skills also, which will differentiate you from other candidates. And, and here's the thing. This isn't just for the students. And, and actually, I don't care if people take this course and go work for Intuit. Firms could use this course themselves. They could say, look, you want to work for us? Go 
take this as your training because I get qu questions all the time from firm owners saying, how do I find people who know how to use QuickBooks? And you have to pay for this course, right? Like you have some skin in the game. It's not into it, just offering it for free. Uh, the course is free. The, the, um, well, it's, it's $49 per month after your trial ends. You get a seven day free trial, then it's $49 per month for Coursera. So, but if you can finish this in a month, you're paying 49 bucks, which is, come on, like that's totally worth it for 80 hours of coursework. And, and we all win, right? Like if you, if you, if you're like, Hey, here's a, I want you to be qualified or certified through this program, do this, or I yeah. want to hire you for my own firm. We all win, like small business owners win, firms win, the person taking the course wins, Intuit wins because maybe they still do some moonlight on the side work for QuickBooks Live. Yeah. And to take the exam is I think $125 for the proctored exam. So all in, you're under $200 and it's something you can add to your resume that distinguishes you from anyone else. And it's something that firms can use to vet candidates and say, heck, I might, if I'm hiring a bookkeeper, I might say, look, I'll hire you. In your first two weeks, your job is to take this course and pass the exam. And if you don't, you don't, you can't keep working for me. That's your trial period or something. It would certainly be better than just hiring somebody and hoping that they know what they're doing. Or maybe I say you have to go do this before you can even apply for my position. Uh, I thought this was neat. And it's a, it's a trend that's happening where employers across all industries are finding that academic programs, traditional college degrees are not keeping up with the demands of the marketplace. And so they're creating their own certifications and courses. We Google is doing Netflix this. doing this for a production movie set accountants and bookkeepers. And yeah, movie they set created their own education program. Yeah, this could be the solution for us as a profession. And so it's great that Intuit's solving their own problem because they're actually solving a problem for accounting firms in general. One more thing about uh, getting hired. I saw this uh, and I actually used this strategy myself. Wall Street Journal has a story and the headline is how a video resume can get you hired in the COVID-19 job market. So sending a video along with your resume as a way to distinguish yourself. So you're not just some dates and degrees on a piece of paper. It's personal. And the reason this is personal to me is that uh, my wife got a new job during the pandemic recently. And it was a big change in her role, a big promotion to a, a director type of role from a individual contributor role. And one of the things that I encouraged her to do was to create a video. She had to do a, a like an analysis of a website from a marketing perspective. And so instead of her just writing it down, I set her up with uh, Loom and she recorded her screen and herself in a bubble in the, in the corner of the screen for about 10 minutes, walking through her analysis of the marketing messaging on the website. And the feedback she got was that this is amazing when she was applying and who knows, maybe that made the difference. So I, I think it this took is probably no, not much effort on her part to do. She was going to walk them through anyways. It's just by packaging it up, just shows she has a little teeny extra skill set that maybe the other cans didn't have. And this is great too for working with clients, right? The, the number one tip I have, if you want to make remote accounting more personal is do Loom videos for clients. Loom.com. Com, I think is it. There's a lot of other solutions, but that's the the number one. Think of it as the uh, if if Zoom is to video conferencing, what Loom is to on demand personal videos that you send to people. People are using these to record the delivery of the tax return. So I finish the return, I start a Loom video, and I walk through the return like I would if the client was there in my office. I do that for them. I record maybe five, 10 minutes of the analysis, recommendations, and deliver that video as a link to the client along with the return in the secure portal. And clients love this stuff. 
because they don't have to make a Zoom meeting with you and then sit there while you go through it. They can just do it on their own time. It's a lot faster, more efficient. It's like uh, it's like the ease of texting or sending video messages or TikTok. That's what everyone's into these days. So, you know, we can actually learn something from TikTok. Should we uh, jump into some uh, app news now? I, I do Intuit release their earnings and there's a, sometimes there's nuggets in there that relates to QuickBooks Live. Let's do it. So I said Intuit released their earnings this week. Um, without getting into numbers, everything's up, up, up. I think their stock's now like $560 a share. It's just bananas, right? What's interesting is the numbers for Credit Karma has really like doubled, doubled, doubled each quarter they've had Credit Karma so far. And they've barely started with Credit Karma. And the one note I saw just before I get into more details is Credit Karma itself has basically 100 million users. So this is like, wow. so when we talked last week about like, so that's like a third of the US population. Yeah. So if you have, so you, Intuit has a significant base in the same way Square does now, right? Square has a significant base. And that's why trying to off, do all these offerings. And they were talking about how, because it's ba- they haven't even marketed TurboTax to those 100 million people yet. So you start thinking about this like, wow, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty uh, drastic. So I'm going to try to jump around because um, it's hard to have these in a order, if you want to call it that, because they do the, Earnings call, then they open it up to Q&A, and it's a little jumpy around, but I'm, I'm just going to highlight some nuggets that were in here. Okay. So they continue to march on their $20 billion assisted segment with TurboTax Live. It had growth of nearly 100%. And what they've gone on to say is they now have a highly predictable model and a platform with significant runway for growth as they accelerate the innovation. And then I'll, and I'll refer back to that platform here in a bit when they talk about to QuickBooks Live, they also basically said they expect no revenue um, impact from leaving the IRS free file program. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they quit that. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And essentially, so they delivered 100 million free tax filings in the last eight years. 90% came outside the IRS free file program. So, so basically, they did 90 million tax returns for free, and only 10% were because of the IRS program. So they just walk, they basically they're just walking away with it because now they now their point of view is now that we don't have those constraints, they can offer all this great uh, innovation between Mint and Credit Karma and TurboTax and this crisscross and the promotion and all this other yeah. stuff. And they just but walk I, away I think, with it. And this is the fair thing to say about what they're doing is that one of the constraints of the free file program was you cannot upsell people. You have to just give them this free product and you can't offer them any other products or services. And maybe upsell is the controversial term. I mean, we use it in marketing all the time. And, and you might say, oh, you're taking advantage of people. But also, if you're delivering value to them, like that's, maybe they want those services. And Intuit can't do that under the free file, which is, I think, the most legitimate reason for walking away from yes, it. Yes, and they just wash their hands of it. They're pretty yeah. clear, like it's not going to impact them in any way, shape, or form. So TurboTax, uh, customer awareness, TurboTax Live, grew over 20%. So just the market itself is 20% more people know about TurboTax Live. So this is where you get help from a CPA or EA inside TurboTax. Correct. While you're doing your return. And so it's different than the, um, you know, you kind of do it and then someone reviews it. Like it's, you just pop up, oh, Blake, help me out. I have a question here. And they're assisting mm-hmm. you in, in getting those out the door. Um, and then uh, QuickBooks Online news. So QuickBooks Online revenue grew 28%. Uh, mainly you know, customer growth and mixed shift, but uh, really it's higher prices, essentially how they did that. And they get into a little bit about uh, well, 
uh, the attach attached products, right? The services for QuickBooks Online that grew. So this is payroll, time tracking, QuickBooks Capital, QuickBooks Payments. I grew thirty five percent in this fourth quarter, and they're seeing like pre pandemic numbers for payroll come back. So the number of employees per customer per small business on QBO is back to pre pandemic levels. So hiring That's feels great. like it's back, which is good news. Yeah. Credit Karma's revenue was four hundred five million in Q four. And I mean, it's all time high for them uh, revenue wise. And then we'll get into some of the Q&A uh, nuggets that were pulled out of here. So this is the analysts asking questions on the earnings call? Yeah. So somebody asked about kind of innovation on the payroll side and reading between the lines, it sounds like they're marching towards possibly even like a Intuit payroll live. Intuit payroll live. Okay. So they said they're innovating in things like same day payroll, next day payroll, the shift to full service where we have our experts help you run your payroll and help you with your taxes. Oh, that could be really, really good. And, and this might like explain you're a business owner. why they're killing that second. You know, they had like two payroll products for like a decade and they kind of migrated everybody to the one payroll product now. Yeah, there was the Intuit online payroll and then there was the QuickBooks payroll. Yeah. And they were and, different. And you can't do a service like this if you have two payroll products. So it explains a right. lot of behind that decision wow. there. Well, that could be huge. I mean, that's basically now they, they'd have QuickBooks Live, which is live bookkeeping. Then they have TurboTax Live, which is live tax help. And then they could have basically Payroll Live, which is live payroll HR help. Oh my gosh. That's, well, that's a cast practice right there. <laughs> then they're talking about the, the parts of the market they really focus on. And they're really looking for underpenetrated segments and transferring them to the assisted segments. And what they've seen is TurboTax Live Awareness, we talked about this, increased 20%. The total customers grew 100%, but new customers to the franchise of TurboTax grew over 100%. So TurboTax Live is actually bringing in new people that have never used TurboTax before. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully I have this captured here, but they're also starting to see that in QuickBooks. And this is why this marches on. Because there's a lot of people not using QuickBooks, do-it-yourselfers, they're, they're doing Excel, they're doing whatever they're doing. They're not even part, they're not using any account or bookkeeper. And those are the people that are very attracted to this QuickBooks Live type service. Right. Yeah. Um, they, they don't have the inclination or energy to learn how to use QuickBooks themselves, which if you're a business owner, it's really hard to learn how to use it. It yeah. takes a substantial amount of time. We all know this. That's why we can't find people to work in our firms who know how to use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never mind finding small <laughs> business owners that could use it. Good point. Good point. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, somebody invest asked about QuickBooks Desktop. So the answer from Intuit is they anticipate that it will continue to decline over time. And, and the reason why is they just have more customers. They come in, they choose the online versions, you know, eight, nine, 10 out of 10 customers will come in and just choose QBO. And basically the, uh, this is uh, Michelle Clatterbuck, who's the executive VP of CFO, right? And she just like, I'll let you do the math on that. That's what she told the, the investor question. And then it, uh, they're asking about, is Intuit going to try to shift people from QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online, and the response was that they've uh, into it's not they've chosen not to force people to move online, but they think there's a much better value prop and they'll have a much better experience if they're using the online products. So they're just going to keep investing in making online better, and that includes probably the entire service suite, not just the, the product itself. So we're uh, can you make progress with QuickBooks Live platform leverage because it's actually built on the same platform as TurboTax Live, and that enables us to bring it to market much more quickly. So it's, it's scaling, right? They're building this on top of the actual platform they already have. And they're still kind of fiddling with QuickBooks Live, trying to find market fit. But early signs are that it's bringing in customers that are new to Intuit. So it's a complete customer acquisition channel. 
So going back, rewinding to wait, remember when Cooper's Live was kind of first announced and everybody's in this big panic. Oh my God, it's going to steal clients from us. And there's a lot of that going on. Right, right. It's really all it's doing is it's growing the pie for everybody. Exactly. And that's that's my philosophy about this course is this this course is great for us. Like we can use this in our firms uh, to to teach our own staff how to do bookkeeping and all that. So And I went in the weeds because I didn't see anything about hiring 500 people. Like I have not seen, you know, some of these other marches that are out there or the rumors, but I did dig in and that's all the nuggets that I could find. So nobody has to dig into these. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by CPA Charge. CPA Charge is the online payment solution designed specifically for the accounting industry, endorsed by more than 35 state CPA societies and the AICPA. Their solution makes it easy to accept credit card, debit card, and even e-check or ACH payments from your clients anytime, anywhere. Whether you prefer to accept payments in your office, through your website, or on the go with the mobile app, CPA Charge has you covered. Plus, CPA Charge has all the payment features you need to streamline your cash flow. Features such as applying surcharge to credit card transactions, which are automatically displayed on your payment page as a separate line item. Or scheduled payments where you can automatically charge your client's payment information at a date and time you both agree to, whether it's a one-time transaction or a recurring bill. And with CPA Charge, there are no contracts, no setup, or cancellation fees. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, you'll receive a special offer from CPA Charge. To learn more and sign up for a demo, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo CPA Charge. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-P-A-C-H-A-R-G-E. Well, we talked about QuickBooks, so let's talk about Zero and their updates. They updated their bank reconciliation design, the user experience, the interface recently. Because they made two changes at once, which is always dangerous. Like they changed, they add some AI, right, to auto match and things like that. But then they also changed the UI. So when you change two things at once, it's always kind of risky for blowback. Well, and I haven't seen the AI roll out into my own files so far. Like I don't see it coding transactions or suggesting coding yet. So now, all did I've you get seen the is new the UI? I got the new UI, yeah, okay. which is... I think it's a big improvement. It's cleaner, but but it's gotten some negative feedback from the accounting community because in addition to being cleaner and easier to read, it also shows far fewer transactions on a single screen. And ah. at first I didn't understand this, why people were complaining. I can only see two transactions at once. But then I used this app on my Chrome browser called Window Resizer for when I'm making videos. And it allows me to resize my window to simulate I'm on a like a laptop screen with a low resolution. And maybe this is something that designers didn't think about when they created this new reconciliation screen, because you know the designers and engineers are all working on these giant monitors at, at their desks. On a laptop, you can only see like two transactions at once now on <laughs> screen. So it used to be you could see many of them. You could see, it, and actually in the example of the original reconciliation tool in zero OG, you could see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven transactions at a time. So they've cut the number of transactions down to like two or three that you can see on a screen for the average person. And that's the main complaint of these accountants in the comments in the blog post. It's just brutal. Uh, And I'm talking about this blog post we talked about a week or two ago, 
reflecting on the evolution of bank reconciliation at zero. You don't get a ton of accountants usually in the comments on these posts, right? It's not like a super active commenting community, but yep. in this case, they were upset. And they're like, here's one example. Vicky says, thanks for the updates. However, the quote, new, unquote, bank reconciliation screen is a complete nightmare. The sizing is impossible to work with. I use two 23-inch screens. It just doesn't work without having to zoom in. Then on the next screen, have to zoom out again. We all get the need for improvements, but this is making beautiful software ugly. This wow. improvement <laughs> is causing a huge amount of distress in the bookkeeping community. We are constantly fielding complaints from our clients, let alone staff. At this difficult time, changes and disruptions like this just make it so much worse. And I just picked a random comment. That was the random comment. <laughs> For all you app developers out there, I know some of you listen to the show. There's two things you need to do when you roll out a new UI. One is you always put a button that lets people revert to the old UI for a while until they're used to it. Right? You kind of have yep. to switch back to the old view. That's always a good policy. And then there's policy. Every feature you design in your product, step back and say, okay, what would this look like as a table? Because accountants love tables. Mm -hmm. They love Excel. So... When you design your feature, yes, maybe the typical zero end user, this is okay. And it's a great UI. But for accountants, they want to flip to a table view where they just get skinny lines all the way down the screen and they can have 50 transactions at once, right? Fitting on a screen. And so every developer should think about in their own apps, this concept of a table view. And, and, and the, the unfortunate thing is they kind of shot themselves in the foot when they wrote a, they had to write a new blog post justifying the reasons for the new design. And then in this blog post, they acknowledged the complaints, but then they also said stuff like, we know it can take time to get used to changes. And that pissed off people because they're saying, these are not good changes. We don't want to get used to them. So they did acknowledge that they are going to look at a condensed transaction view. They're going to try to figure out how to do what you're talking about, David. Which I'm, I'm sure they'll figure good. it out. It's but, just, it's this, and this has been going on forever. I remember way back in the old QuickBooks 5.0, maybe for Windows or maybe it was QuickBooks. Somewhere in one of those versions of QuickBooks, they pulled off the icon bar and people <laughs> lost their minds. And that, in those days it was bad because it took you another two months to get the product back out the door with a patch, right? It cost a million dollars to get a patch out the door. You couldn't just revert the code and push it live. Uh, but people, yeah, people do not like change, especially if you're using the app and you're trying to be efficient and get work done. Like you can't yeah, have so, UIs changing on you. Yeah, so solicit customer feedback, not just from direct customers, but also the accountants. And that's the challenge of designing products that are for, you know, basic users and power users. It's really hard to appeal to both. And in this case, it seems like they were designing for the business owner to make it easier for them. And they neglected to think about the impact on the accountants. I have some more app news updates here. Zoom has released updates. And I saw this pop up in my own Zoom app when I updated this week. Focus mode is designed for educators and allows you to place meeting participants in a view where they are only able to see themselves, the host slash co-hosts, and the content they are sharing. And in this view, hosts and co-hosts can also choose to view participants in gallery view, enabling them to see all participants simultaneously. I think this is something that was pioneered in Microsoft Teams, where you can see everybody in like a boardroom. And so it takes away their background and puts them in a chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just puts a head sitting in chairs. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of nice because it takes away all the distracting backgrounds. And and what's also different about this with the focus mode is, again, it it removes, like say you have a big group of people, you're doing like a stand-up meeting for your entire firm every Monday. When you turn on focus mode, now your 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 people, your staff don't see each other. They only see you and whoever else is presenting. So uh, you could you could 
have everybody see everyone at the beginning of the meeting, but when it's time to actually start the meeting, turn that off so people aren't getting distracted by, you know, Joe who's eating his breakfast cereal on the on the call. Um, you can also transfer meetings from mobile to desktop. I love this because I'm often in my car doing a Zoom meeting and then I get back into my office and I want to like get on that call, but then I have to log in as another user and then I get the crazy feedback loop that pisses everyone off. Um, and then this is another one that's cool. Using AI, they have automatic reactions from gesture recognition. So if you raise up your hand on the screen to, it will then put an icon on the screen, like a, a hand raise emoji on the screen. So it's basically doing that that button you click to raise your hand or give a thumbs up to is another one. So, so, so just to make sure I heard you correctly, I just lift my hand up and my camera knows that and then indicates puts the hand up in the software in exactly yeah yeah so i have a bunch of apps that raise some money and we can kind of loosely run through some of these because some of them are apps we've never heard of before let's do it so there's a app called pry financials they raised 4.2 million now this app was kind of born out of indonero so indonero started out as trying to be like mint for small businesses and then they basically turned into a accounting firm an accounting firm of technology right yep and so what Pry Financial is, they want to basically make startup finance as approachable for its entire team. Uh, what's interesting about this article is it just is so big. It's in TechCrunch. And I've never seen like a, an announcement for a for an app like this this big. And essentially, they're trying to go after the workday adaptive planning, um, try to do three-way forecast, predicting runway, hiring, contractor budgets, investor updates, right? The dashboard connects to QuickBooks and Zero. It's, it's everything you'd expect in a normal dashboard. There's not anything about this where I'm like, oh, they're attacking this differently. It's very like, it was just odd that the the article was just so long, like how much kind of coverage it got uh, by TechCrunch. Yeah, crunch. who did they pay, who did they pay off right to get that uh, press release? So, so there's a long article, article there. Uh, <laughs> corporate card company Ramp. So Ramp is raising three hundred million dollars. So this is a, a expense platform, you know, to cut cost. Um, what's interesting about Ramp, though, that's different from some of the because it's a similar player. It's like expense tracking for your employees, issuing virtual cards and all that, right? It's free, like a, a Divi or a Brex type product. It's free. But Ramp apparently is uh, comes from a background. There's an app called Parabus. I don't know if you've ever heard of this app. Mm -hmm. This no. app kind of was the original Ramp product, if you want to call it that. And what, so Ramp, what Ramp offers that I didn't know until I saw this, this, this is why I reviewed these press releases. It basically will look at your shopping and automatically obtain refunds when prices decrease. So if you put your staff on ramp, in theory, it has price matching technology that's going to help your employees buy the cheapest things. And not only that, if they do buy something, it becomes cheaper. You have that window where you can request a price difference and they help you, your employees do that. Oh, got it. That's cool. So so that's uh, kind of interesting from them. So That they, could make a big difference at scale. If you have like lots of employees buying stuff, you could you could save a lot of money. Balance is an interesting one. So Balance is a, uh, they're B2B payments, but they're more like a shopping cart. So if you're, instead of, because many times if you go to a B2B website, you get to the end, you can just do a merchant terminal service type thing and that's it, right? You, you can't really use PayPal. It's hard. You can't use a Venmo, right? So it's like a shopping cart. So at the time you, when you finish your e-commerce transaction, you can do an ECH transfer, a wire checks, things like that. So they just raised 25 million. Zeal. So Zeal is basically another payroll API. So a third payroll API company has kind of jumped up on the, the radar here. And what's interesting about their that company is they, um, again, they want to do paying workers daily, customizing the earning components. 
And but their goal, which I thought was really, really aggressive, their mission is to touch every American paycheck with our tax and payment technology, ensuring American employees are paid correctly and efficiently. So I thought that was very, very aggressive. Wow. From then, Brex is is going to launch a hundred and fifty million dollar venture debt business. So if I'm a startup, I could bootstrap everything, not take any money. I could take money from investors, but when I take money from investors, essentially, I'm losing ownership of Equity. my company. Yeah. And venture debt's kind of where I take a loan and then I pay it back. And there's different models for this. Sometimes I pay back a certain percentage of my revenue every month until the loan's paid. So essentially, they want to help startups have money, but more as a loan. And not so they're not investing in startups, but they're giving startups another option, which really makes sense for them because the way they work is they issue credit based on how much money you have in the bank. So if they're also issuing the money to you, I, I, it feels like it could be also risky. But if they have the the venture fund in a different bucket, maybe it's not as risky. Yeah, or it's just another bubble. <laughs> <laughs> that could be interesting. There, Flexio is uh, another one. They took uh, eight million dollars to build another uh, AP software suite. So. Somebody else is building more stuff to go after accounts payable. This is uh, accounting uh, platform Cinder. So Cinder actually- They were a sponsor. Sponsor, sponsor of our podcast. What I like about Cinder, and this goes to the point of like open APIs and platforms. Because QuickBooks had an open API and developers could easily get on it and build software without any fees. They actually had a different product they were making. They founded the company. It's called Cloud Business. And it was a little bit more of an Excel importer tool. And what they discovered is people were using that to move e-commerce transactions and that how they kind of migrated and evolved into Cinder, right? So that keeps growing. And so basically they're focused on the e-commerce companies, bringing that data into QuickBooks and Zero. Mm-hmm. So you have that. And then I think the last one, um, this is not a raise, but this is a U- for our UK listeners. So a product called SensiBill, which basically scans bills. So it's, it's doing uh, bill extraction. They've now partnered with FreeAgent. FreeAgent in the UK is a cloud accounting package like Zero or QuickBooks. Um, it actually has a, I think, a hundred thousand business users on it. Pretty so big it's, following it's a, it's there. A yeah, decent, it's a decent product. They're going to partner to basically solve two major pain points. One is reconciling receipts with statements continues to be time consuming, and two, manually organizing. The way they're doing this is extracting. So it's just an mm-hmm. OCR play, but it feels it's going to be built in more into free agent, which makes sense because arguably, bill scanning and receipt scanning is just going to be a feature of the accounting systems. Hence, zero buying HubDoc, Sage buying Auto Entry. QuickBooks building it themselves, obviously free agent getting in bed here with Sensibill. It's all, everybody's on that same marriage, like scanning of bills and receipts is just going to be a thing accounting systems do just like bank feeds. And that's it for the apps I got. That was a ton. Thank you for that. I just wanted to go back to the first one, Pry, Pry Pry.co. Yeah. One thing that's really interesting about Pry looking at their website is that they connect to QuickBooks and Xero to pull in your data. But then if you keep scrolling down, there's a section called Pry bookkeeping versus QuickBooks slash zero. Pry actually has its own GL that they're building. So you can- Oh, I see that. Bookkeeping, categorize, track, and budget. Yeah. So you can, on the get started screen, they have a screenshot that says you have two options. Connect your books to Pry or use Pry for bookkeeping. Connect your bank and credit card accounts directly to Pry to manage your bookkeeping and financial planning all in one place. Good, good, good detective work there. And shame on the oh, TechCrunch writer who wrote this gigantic article and didn't mention once that they do bookkeeping in the article. So I wonder if this is a really just Indonero's tech, tech stack weight labeled as pry. I don't know. This is a, Now, what's interesting about this, like we were just talking about um, table views. If you look at the screenshots of Pry's bookkeeping product, 
it just looks like a bunch of spreadsheets. It's just table view after table view after table view. Right, right. Well, because it's designed with finance people in mind. Right. Then that's what we want. We Not, want no end users, right? Because they're getting yeah. in and they want to be in be- they'll do it all for you and you don't have an end user. You're doing this internally with your finance experts. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think it's um no accountants. Their their market is the headline on their website, finance for founders. Use Pry to manage your company's finances with spreadsheets crossed out. So that's who they're competing with. It's the with. fastest bookkeeping experience ever made. Yeah. That's a good claim. So interesting approach. But but it, but their big play is connect to your banks. It's a bank. It's another bank feed accounting product. So we're we're running out of time today, and there's one story we didn't get to, so we'll have to save it to next time. It's the Drake Software 2021 tax prep fee survey results. We must tackle that next time because there's some really good insights about what people are charging, who's charging the most, how much people are charging based on number of returns, all this good stuff. Really uh, interesting. Oh, we did get a review. One review. Oh, this is such a short review. It's it's probably the most succinct review we've ever received. Vanessa said, five stars, very informative, period. Thank you, Vanessa. That's our goal, to be informative, to help you stay on top of the latest in accounting and technology. And that was on Podchaser. On Podchaser. So if you're, if you're an Android user, you can go to podchaser.com, search for the Cloud Accounting Podcast and write a review there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, just open up your app and do the review right inside of Apple Podcasts. And if you would like to get in touch with me, I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. Do follow me and feel free to send me messages. David, how about you? I'm at David Leary. Um, If you're on LinkedIn, just say I'm not a bot. And then don't forget, you can always call our voicemail and leave us a voicemail number or voicemail message. But here's the number. We love hearing your messages. The number is 202-695-1040. That is 202-695-1040. Hey, if you're in the car right now, you got a thought you want to share with us and potentially pull over first. <laughs> Thank us. Or you Siri. And uh, yeah, exactly. Give us a call and let us know what you think about these stories or anything else we discuss on the Now, if podcast. we yell out like, hey, Siri, dial 202-695-1040. Is that going to like get us some calls? <laughs> I hope you didn't just cause a car crash, David. So uh, we disclaim all Why liability. Say, like Tesla, turn left. <laughs> we need to get one of those disclaimers they have at the end of every AICPA podcast, you know, that the opinions expressed in this show are the opinions of us and because not it, because a small business owner sitting through one of those. <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week. Perfect. Beautiful week. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Have you dreamed of starting a bookkeeping business, but you don't know where to start? Join the Bookkeeping Biz Workshops, a four-day live workshop series hosted by Serena Shoup, CPA. You'll learn what it takes, which tech to start with, how to build a business, not a job, plus you'll get comfortable on discovery calls. The workshops begin August 22nd, so register today at bkworkshops.online. That is bkworkshops.online. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm that doesn't drive you into the ground, check out Ryan Lazanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Designed around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of others forward-thinking firm owners. 
For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.